here and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today for this Talking City World Cup edition is Mr Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad. I'm, I'm slowly getting into the World Cup mood. It's not there yet, but I, I can feel that when it starts, I'll be, I'll be fully invested. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully this uh, this preview here will help you and everyone listening exactly. get into get into the mood a little bit. Before, but before we begin with the preview and all the football and teams, it would be um, admiss of us not to discuss the elephant in the room with this World Cup, which is obviously that it is abhorrent in its conception due to the human rights abuses in Qatar, the treatment of migrant workers, LGBTQ plus people in a country where it's illegal to be gay, and any of um, any people who dare question the ruling regime is revolting and casts a dark shadow on this whole tournament. It would be a moral mishap if we didn't move to mention this, and when discussing the World Cup, it shouldn't be forgotten as the tournament rolls on either, of course. Um, much more articulate and knowledgeable journalists and activists than myself have done excellent work in highlighting these issues um, in the lead up to the tournament in all its harrowing detail. And I'd recommend reading, listening or watching um, some of the insightful material um, that is available um, all around. If you just take a little search for it, it's uh, not hard to find. Um, and one such piece, which has been written by my esteemed colleague here, Mr. Joe, um, you've spoken to LGBT uh, Manchester City and Manchester United fans Um for a piece that will go live this weekend, talking about the World Cup. Joe, what, what did they have to say about the tournament? Yeah, it's, it's not been written yet, so I'm, I'm, let's not call it a steam just yet. <laughs> but I thought like, we've got to talk about it and if we're going to be writing about it. Um, it's it's an issue that affects people back in Manchester because they can't go to the World Cup. They, they don't feel safe to go to World Cup to watch football when it's a tournament. This should be the highlight of any football fans life to get to consider going to a World Cup and uh, a large proportion of fans don't feel they can. Um, but I was speaking to a member of the Rainbow Devils, which is the United LGBTQ plus supporters group. And it was a lot more of a positive conversation than I was expecting. Um, the the gentleman was was basically saying, let's use this to educate people. Let Like this this man in particular didn't want to, to boycott. He said he loves football. He'd find it too hard to boycott the tournament, but he said, let's educate people of what's going on in Qatar, what the people in Qatar are facing. Um, and he said already he feels that just the fact that people are highlighting that has got to be a positive as well. And he doesn't think that that FIFA will will again award a, a tournament like this to to a country that is so oppressive to, to, to groups like that. So um, I, I asked, what can we do as as the Manchester Evening News, as, as sort of, journalists to highlight it and he said just keep talking about it keep highlighting what's going on so I think we should still do that we we should carry on doing that and yeah if people continue um reading and and looking into that because we can enjoy the football it's not gonna the tournament's gonna go ahead anyway it's not gonna stop because people boycott or or protest or anything but uh we can you know we can look into it so um yeah hopefully I'll have that that piece out of the weekend and as you say there's there's lots of of, of good good journalism journalism has been written and people out there are, are really sort of not just focusing on the football when they're reporting on it they're, they're reporting on the other issues as well which is important yeah it absolutely is you know we we all know the the drawbacks to this world cup and even though they are well publicized i'm sure if you're a football fan 
are probably not even a football fan who's um going to be at least interested in those World Cup. I know about it. You do know about the issues in Qatar, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't still shine a light on them, especially when um it's coming. It's uh, it begins on Sunday. It's finally here. You know, over twelve years since it was announced that Qatar would host it. I still remember being a little lad in utter shock. Um, first, the, um, the the bombshell that Russia had gotten it over England, I believe England were going for the 2018 one, and then Qatar got it. Um, it was, I'd never heard of Qatar when I was, what, what, 13 years old or whatever I would have been back then. Um, so, so, so that we're finally here. Um, you know, this, this is the most important time to continue talking about it because um, it's it's really important. And as, as, I, as I said um, in my little speech there, the, the treatment to some people um, and a lot of people and is, is abhorrent and it shouldn't be forgotten and it will, no matter what happens with the football, it could be the most exciting tournament ever and we hope it is um, as likers of football but no matter how good it is, it should never kind of wash out the, the dark stains that are on this tournament and will be, you know, be blotched for, um, for evermore. For in, in the history books, this will always be an Asterix World Cup. Yeah, completely agree. It, it it does feel it just I mean the fact that it's in winter anyway feels strange. But yeah, the the all the the issues behind it and the, the close we get to allow this to happen. But again, you can look back at, at Russia in twenty eighteen and, and have questions there. And uh, if if anything good does come of those two decisions, it's that the the process for selecting World Cups and, and Euros is a lot more transparent next time, which surely, I know there's a lot of corruption at the high level of football, but surely we can't, we can't have a repeat of, of these two selections. Well, the, the, I think, <laughs> you know, just ignoring the, the kind of structural problems of Qatar as a country and why the World Cup shouldn't be there, I think, and while these issues are by no means on a level to the treatment of any person anywhere, um, the issues that it has like imposed on football make it equal it as kind of, Obviously, not life and death, but like annoying as a fan. The the fact, as you just mentioned, when it is being placed, um, the winter months. It's you know, it's, it's a summer tournament, and I'm absolutely freezing sat here in my house because um, that heating's not going on at this time in the, in the <laughs> afternoon. I tell you that for nothing. Um, it's you know, it should be a summer tournament. The vibes are different. That you know, of course, the the season um has been condensed and curtailed because as a result, we have no idea how it's going to affect the season afterwards with injuries and whatnot. We've seen. As we see with um, every World Cup, serious injuries, but it does feel especially gutting for certain players this time. I believe, as we'll talk to um, Nkunku of uh, France, is just was the biggest name to pick up an injury while with his international team, and will now miss the tournament. And I think what's kind of even more agonising is that this this World Cup's already a kind of version of the World Cup as it is, but it will also be the last good one in terms of football because it's the last one. With 32 teams, of course, because in four years' time in the USA, Mexico and Canada, it'll be expanded to 48 teams. As you know, Gianni Infantino is set to be re-elected as FIFA president for another four years. Um, unopposed, does his absolute utmost to just destroy the game by milking it absolutely raw. So, in a way, it's almost as if we have to enjoy at least the football of this World Cup, if you can, because it's the last one of how we know it. And, you know, it, it, even that's... It's just a sad affair all round. And I'm sure when it starts, as soon as those first games start, I know Qatar versus Ecuador isn't the uh, most exciting opening fixture, but as soon as England play on that uh, on the Monday, 
we'll be fully inv- invested in it and and it'll feel like a World Cup. I, I think yes, it'll be different because we're we're going to the games with coats on and we're not sitting in the beer gardens. But um, no, I, I think when it gets started, we'll, we'll enjoy it. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that the future World Cups are, are going to be wider. But you know, for, I, I think for me, football is football. You, you can enjoy a football game in a World Cup whenever it is, but you'd prefer to completely enjoy it, knowing that there's not all the the background drama going on. You just want to watch a game of football and complain about who's playing left back, for example. You don't want to think about the morals of it. And, and unfortunately, that's what we've we've got to do this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, but we can, you know, we are football journalists. This is a football podcast. So we will unfortunately have to kind of go to the football. But as I say, there's plenty of um, great material out there if you're interested in learning more about Qatar and the World Cup in which it's being held. But as you say, it's the World Cup. It's hard. To, I think it's still hard. You know, it's three or four days away now. It's hard to have caught World Cup fever completely, but the slog will soon be coming because I don't know if you know this, Joe, but after Monday, um, it'll be four games a day for the next 10 days. So it's going to be an absolute feast of football. I say, how, how are you feeling for this World Cup? What are you expecting in general from the quality of the football? Do you think the the timing of it will, could actually make it better as um, players haven't gone for a full season quite yet? And, um, th- and the other kind of concern of where it's been held is that even though it is in winter in Qatar, it's still absolutely scorching out there in the middle of the desert. 35 degrees, I believe it's um, forecast to be when England take to the pitch in the day's uh, afternoon kickoff on Monday. And I imagine that'll be much the case throughout the tournament. So what are you kind of expecting in a football um, uh, terms? I I don't really know, but I would guess that a lot of the teams are going to, rely on experience rather than sort of try anything particularly new because they've not had times time uh, to sort of test and and have any warm-up games i know a couple got some in yesterday maybe who are starting the group stage a little bit later but um say for england for example we spoke about this in the past there's not really any time to to test any any new players it's it, harry Maguire probably wouldn't play on form but because he is experienced and knows the system I can see him playing quite a key role for England, so I think other countries will will see that as well, and and it it will rely on on the sort of teams who are in form and and have a good system right now. So I know Holland are on a good run and Argentina as well, and I can see those sort of teams maybe doing better than than sides who say we got to the summer. Germany might be better than they are. Spain might be better than they are. France having a few injuries as well. So I, th- I, th- I think it will be closer to what we know of teams. I don't think anyone's going to surprise us and do a lot better than we thought. Um, but you, you mentioned the heat there. It's going to, they've obviously got these air-conditioned stadiums and uh, that's another another issue with with Qatar and, and holding the World Cup in a, a country that has to air-condition its stadiums. But um, I remember back in the summer in, in the US in on City's tour, the first game in Houston, they had the roof closed and, and it was air-conditioned and it did just feel like a normal game. It was really, really hot outside, but it was quite actually pleasant inside and you could just wear any shorts and T-shirt and, and that was fine. So I don't think the the heat will actually play much of a part in, in the games. Maybe when the training, I know England, I think they've had to change the training routine, so they're training more in the morning. Um, so it's not as hot, obviously. You might find teams, obviously Qatar will be used to their own climate, but maybe... Maybe teams like Iran and 
maybe not Saudi Arabia, but those sort of teams who are, are used to those climates a little bit more might be a bit better when it comes to playing this sort of the European sides who, who might not be used to it. But yeah, you never know. And I think at the end of the day, especially if the, the stadiums are air conditioned, the best football teams will win the games and have the better chance of winning, winning the tournament. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, let's get stuck in. We're going to go through all eight groups one by one. We'll talk about City, the City players participating in the groups and what how we think they'll kind of shake um, shake down and which teams will go through. Starting, of course, with Group A, which contains the hosts, Qatar, Ecuador, the Netherlands and Senegal. The City players in this group is Nathan Ake, of course, for the Netherlands and then a CFG representative in Jackson Porozo, who I must admit I've absolutely never heard of. I imagine nope. this will be this will be a regular theme going throughout the CFG players at the World <laughs> Cup. So we probably won't talk about them very much, but we'll mention them there. No, this is as you say, this group I don't think looks the strongest on paper, but um I'm quite intrigued by it because I do have a kind of sneaky feeling, you know, we'll talk about dark horses and whatnot later. But I kind of have a feeling Qatar might do all right. I know a lot of us will be like kind of thinking, ah, oh, they'll just kind of get battered sort of things. We don't know much about them, but um, they obviously had the host advantage. We saw how much that helped Russia last time around when we thought they would kind of go out of the group and they, was it Spain they upset and went through and ended up doing really well and, um, and hammered Saudi Arabia, of course, on their first game, was it like 6-0 or something like that? So I think the home advantage does have uh, a part to play, especially this time around when it seems unlikely there'll be many fans from European countries, especially making the trip, just because of the, as you said, the the issues as we've discussed, and the the obscene prices of getting there and staying there, and the things we haven't even mentioned, the absolutely <laughs> shocking accommodation available for any fans who want to go over there. There's so many problems; it's hard to keep track. But Qatar, it's quite interesting. They suspended their domestic season since September, so the squad could be like a really intense training. Um, camp to really prepare for the tournament. They have actually had success in recent years, winning the Asia Cup in 2019, and they recently made the semi-finals of the Gold Cup, where they only lost to America by a single goal. Now, I'm not saying either of us know much about them, uh, the team and its complexion and the players, um, but I have a sneaky suspicion Qatar could upset a few people and might even get out of this group here. Yeah, that second place is up for grabs. You'd expect Netherlands to to win the group, group relatively easily, but Ecuador uh, don't stand out to me as as being particularly great. Senegal, obviously quite good, have uh, some good stars and and did quite well. Uh, did did they win the African Cup of Nations or am, am I making that yeah. up? Yeah, well, you are right. They are the Afghan holders. Got Sadio Mane, obviously, if if he's fit to play, I, I think Senegal will get that second place. But yeah. I mean, that first game we saw, I remember the South Africa opening game, that those sort of winnable opening games got your country behind you. You never know what could happen. And yeah, Qatar will be looking at that and will be very, very happy with that group. So I, I'm not sure they'll get out of it, but I could see them grabbing a win against Ecuador or Senegal mm. at least. Yeah, the, yeah, the opening game, I say it's... it's... It's a weird one because it's not. It's obviously not two big nations. It's not like the blockbuster you kind of want for the kicking off of a World Cup. Obviously, when we had Germany and Brazil hosting, they were big events in their first match in South Africa. It was obviously amazing with how kind of that match went with the famous Shabalaba goal. But the last two World Cups have been a bit of a damp squib openings, especially this time around. It's only one match 
on the opening day. But I'm intrigued to see how both teams kind of shake out. And say Netherlands, they've been on a great run since um, Louis van Gaal took over. They have not lost in 15 matches. Um, they have some exciting talent, the likes of uh, Javi Simmons and uh, Cody Gakpo. Um, but they do have some absolute old war horses in that in that side as well. Daily Blind is on the plane, uh, Davy Klaassen, and a trio of strikers that would not look out of place. Um, uh, well, I was going to say Burnley, but not Burnley anymore, Vincent Company in charge. Um, but they've got a trifecta of strikers, Vout Vegast, Vincent Janssen, and Luc de Jong. So um, some have got Netherlands as quite... I don't know if the Netherlands can be a dark horse, but some of them are thinking they may go better than they are. I'm, I'm a bit sceptical myself. And then Senegal, I think it's an interesting one. Everyone, and probably rightly so, I say, as you say, the AFCON holders, everyone thinks they're Africa's best chance of kind of going far in the tournament. But I remember there was a similar sort of vibe in 2018 World Cup, and the team is largely the same. And they, they really kind of disappointed. They had a they really good group, um, a, quite a comfortable group last time as well. Uh, 2018, they were in with Colombia, Japan, Poland, and they failed to qualify on, uh, I believe it was on, well, I, they are absolutely identical records with Japan. I'm looking at the table, so I'm not, I don't actually know how they didn't go through in the end, because <laughs> it doesn't tell me on the old Google page. But it's a group that, with their quality and attacking areas, they should have got out of, they should have won that group, really, and they didn't. And I think you can have Mane. It's obviously a doubt if he's out. I don't think they have any chance. Um, they have some good attacking players, but I think that midfield they've got is too kind of workmanlike. It's Idrissa Gay. It's, um, I've got forgotten the squad. Um, it's Idrissa Gay and another kind of, they're just like three centre midfielders who are really good tacklers and runners, but don't have much passing. And I think that when you kind of come up against teams who sit back against the likes of Mane and Ismail Sarr, they struggle to kind of break teams down, I found, last time. But hope maybe they've um, kind of worked on that um, in the years since and will come into this World Cup having learned their lessons somewhat. Yeah, I think they'll benefit from from the group. If if they were sort of third seeds and had two better sides ahead of them, I, d- I think it would be similar to, to last time, as you're saying, they wouldn't qualify. But you would look at that and say the only team definitely better than them is is the Netherlands. So... They will look at Qatar and, and Ecuador and think we can get six points here and, and that'll be enough for them to to qualify. Um, whether they would then get further than the round of 16, I, d- I don't know. Um, Netherlands as well, yeah, it, it's interesting because they're on good form, but they do have a lot of areas in the squad that aren't ideal. But I don't think it's going to be a tournament where you need to have the best team. I think it's the team that will manage the conditions better, manage the form has the, the fewest injuries and if they can continue their good run and I'm, I'm looking at I'll, I'll link back to City here but I'm looking at Nathan Ake he's arrived at the right time he's had a very good start to the season he's in form and he's always found himself in and out of the team I, I would imagine on form that he now starts whether it's on the sort of left of a back three or left back I'm, I'm not sure but if they've got a good defence which Ake, Van Dijk Daily Blind is not a bad Delict as well, yeah. It's it's not terrible. Then they've got some decent sort of fullbacks who can get forward. That's kind of a good basis to to go far enough in in the competition. And they'll face the. Am I right in saying they'll face the second team in England's group? So, say England win that group, it's USA or or Wales. You would probably think winnable. That's a quarter final, and then then who knows what can happen. I, I can see why people are tipping them. To, to sort of be dark horses. But I think, mm. it, again, a bit like Senegal's chances, it's because they've got such a favourable group. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the other two midfielders I, my tongue slipped on was Che Kiate <laughs> and uh, Nampalis Mendy. So, as I say, kind of good defensive midfielders, but not a lot um, advancing up the pitch in that area. Moving on to Group B, as you just mentioned, it does contain England, Wales, the United States of America and Iran. The city players involved here are, of course, Jack Grealish, John Stones, Phil Ford, Phil Ford, Phil Ford and Kyle Walker and Calvin Phillips. And another <laughs> guy I've never heard of for the CFG is Sean Johnson for the UFC over at New York City FC. Now, we've obviously touched on England a fair few uh, times uh, in the podcast leading up to the tournament, so we'll try and keep um, it all kind of low on them but maybe not since they're the only team we really know very well but I see, feel like people are quite down on England and I, I don't know I'm quietly confident I think as you say it's not been good in the last year or so since the Euro final defeat but I think there's a lot of um, uh, caveats to that I don't think any team really cared about the um, the Nations League especially after the season finished when England's were, you know got battered by Hungary Um I said, I don't think any, it wasn't Kevin De Bruyne who said it was a waste of time and didn't want to be playing there, outwardly said it. So I imagine that was the feeling throughout most countries. So I don't think any of the Nations League results can really have too much bearing, especially, or maybe the good ones do, but I'm not sure about the bad ones. I, I don't know, I, I'm quite confident, as you say, the injuries might be a bit of concern with Kyle Walker and um, Madison and Phillips, of course. But otherwise, I think there's like a real settled squad there. There's no like... Rhys James obviously was um, unfortunate to miss out and he may have started a right back. But otherwise, I don't think England are quite strong. A lot of players are going in fit, if not in the best form. I think there's a solid base there that, as you said, it's going to be a very defensive tournament, I I think. And England have got a solid base there with Rice, Bellingham or Phillips or Henderson. And the defence has done it in tournaments. Southgate's a really good tournament manager, at least until... Um, he might get out tactics in the big games, I suppose, but he knows how to negotiate these early stages and the early knockouts. And there's a lot, as we touched on last week, there's a lot of different attacking combinations. You've got the experienced, tried and tested Sterling, or you've got the more exciting Saka and informed Saka and Rashford, who's in a bit more better form. You've got Mount, who he likes a lot, of course, and then Foden and Grealish. Um, Wilson and Kane. There's a lot of lot of attacking out there. I think people are being a, a little bit down in England. I, I'm not sure. I think they should get out of the group. Definitely, they're they're better than Wales. They're better than the US. Neither of those games will be easy. But um, I think the key for England will be obviously beating Iran in the first game. If they can stay unbeaten in that group, they've got a good chance of going through. Um, and then that that can be sort of the warm up, if you like. Because they, they are games that they should they shouldn't really get beaten. They can use those games to warm up. I'm, I'm not expecting a, a thrilling game against Iran for that reason. Um, but we saw it in the Euros. Was it two two goals scored, zero conceded in in the group, and they went on to the final. And no one now remember remembers those group games. So I think if they can do that, if they can ease their way through the tournament and and get a bit of momentum with each game, I think that's how. England will do well if they do. Um, we've said it will be a defensive tournament, but I also think England are going to be a lot better if they attack because I think there are weaknesses in, in that defence. There's only one left back. Harry Maguire isn't in great form, even though he does sort of improve for England. The defensive midfield is a little bit iffy. There's, there's not many options there, but we've got a lot of good players going forward. So I would, I would expect England to 
if they are going to do well, it's going to be because they they do attack. It might not be sort of coherent with what we've seen from Southgate in tournaments before, but yeah, if, if they take it one game at a time, um, given the fact that that group A, as we've said, is probably the, the weakest group as a whole. If England can win the group, then they've probably got Senegal. You would expect them to get through and then quarterfinal might be a bit more difficult. I've I've done one of these predictors and I think England get maybe France or, mm-hmm. or Denmark in, mm-hmm. in in that sort of quarterfinal, which which won't be easy. But they had Germany in the in the Euros and, and that wasn't easy and they got through. So um with players like Harry Kane, Sterling, I'm predicting that Foden and, and Grealish could sort of really come out of the shells for England in this tournament. Just those players with a little bit of spark that might might help them get through um those sort of games. You never know. I don't think anyone's expecting England to win it. I know they've they've got to a final and a semi-final in the last two tournaments. I think if they got to the semi-finals, that would be probably overachieving, just given the way that everything's going. But you never know that they're a team that know how to win tournament games now, and that will maybe carry a little bit of expectation once they get to the knockouts, if they get to the knockouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I think it's a real derby group, of course, for kind of off the field yeah. uh, relations <laughs> between all four countries. But I do think it's key that the Wales game isn't till last. We saw with the Scotland game and the Euro group stage that, and obviously that was at home um, at Wembley, so it was a little bit different. But we have seen that those sort of games can be kind of nervy affairs where the usual the usual plan perhaps goes out the window a little bit. It might be different out in Qatar. I don't know how many fans of both countries are heading out there, so I can't see it be quite the uh, raucous atmosphere as it was at Wembley. But I'm, it's, I think it's key that that game is last. Um, you've got Iran and USA first. As, and I agree with you. I do not think that US that Iran game, the opener, will be much of anything with Carlos Queiroz sticking every player behind the ball. But I think if England... I think what they need to do, I don't think they'll score money, it'll be solid, but I think if they can just kind of set the tone a bit with the Iran game, don't play a back three against them because they're not going to attack. I think if they can kind of set the tone, I don't think it needs to be a great game or anything, but I think if they could win comfortably by at least two and it's like a bit of nice football, I think it might ease a few fears and get fans more inside. But, you know, as you say, I'm quite confident with England to at least do reasonably well. I, you know, actually, I don't want to be one of those looking at the roots already, but as you say, if you finish top, you're looking at a favourable uh, last 16 match. And then, as we'll touch on with Group C, I, I could see, a, I could see a, a real scenario where Denmark is could play England's quarterfinal points, and we know we can beat them in knockout stages, as we've seen before. So, you know, it, it, only time will tell. But I, I feel like I'm more confident than a lot of um, fans may be. But, you know, we have to look at a look out elsewhere in this group. Wales, of course, in their first World Cup since 1958. They've got Gareth Bale in good spirits after inspiring LAFC to uh, a playoff victory a few weeks back. He says he's ready to play all three 90 minutes in the group stage, which will be massive for them. And uh, the USA, I've got some talented attackers of Christian Pulisic, of course, uh, Giovanni Reina, um, Timothy Weyer. So they've got some, um, some good firepower. And, of course, Tyler Adams of Leeds United. So some good... Quality Tim Ream there, of course, big up Bolton legend. Um, so I, I do think it could the second place spot is, is quite open, quite up for grabs. Who, who do you see kind of claiming it? I really don't know. I think USA and Wales are quite equal. Probably on paper, those players you've mentioned, USA feel like they've got more sort of Premier League and, and sort of top level European based players. Wales probably a lower end Premier League Championship players, but 
we've written off Wales before and they always do it. They always they have a sort of a team spirit that I think few few nations really do. So if they were to get through, I would not be surprised at all. Um maybe they're often backed by a really passionate following. So if those followers aren't in Qatar, maybe that would impact things. But um I think I'd be tempted to back to back Wales. You know, I, I think USA really made hard work of qualifying. Um so yeah, maybe Wales's sort of tournament experience might might help them get the edge there. Yeah, definitely. I, I forgot to do this for the last one. So who have you got going through for Group A? <laughs> I'll say uh, Netherlands and, and Senegal in Group A and I'll say England and Wales for, for Group B. Interesting. I'm with you on Group B, but I'm, I'm going to go Qatar for Group A. I can <laughs> smell it. I can smell it. Uh, moving on to Group C, um, we've got Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. Of course, the city representatives this time is Julian Alvarez for Argentina and an old face in Nicolas Otamendi in the heart of the Argentine defence. I think the big question of this World Cup um, that everyone's asking other than maybe England fans who are wanting to win it, but is this Messi's time? Argentina are in a great run of form. I believe they're two or three games away from actually having the record undefeated run in international football. But kind of the issue with that is that a lot of the teams they have faced have not mostly non-European. I think they obviously, they obviously beat Italy in the, the version of the Super Cup, the winners of Copa America and winners of the Euros um, at Wembley uh, earlier this year. The I say they finally managed to get that Copa America. The, the, the monkey is off Messi's back in not delivering anything for his country. You know, Not as if he wouldn't have delivered them about two Copa Americas in a World Cup. If it wasn't for Gonzalo Higuain not being able to hit, a, um, hit, a, hit the back of the net from three yards away. Um but it feels like the monkey's off the back a little bit. Um, I think they've only, I say, the, the and they've got South American qualifying is by no means easy with how that's set up. But that run, that lengthy undefeated run, mostly been teams not from European teams that tested against the best sides in the world. I think another match was against Estonia. But they seem to be the informed side. I think many have speculated that. South American teams might be a bit more accustomed to the kind of weather conditions. I don't know how that plays out when most teams, most players will be playing in Europe anyway. But the question in the SSA is, is this Messi's time? I think, I hope so. Like, I think it would be sort of the romantic story, wouldn't it? And it would cap off the, the best player in the world's career if he can win, win that tournament. And they're in form and they seem to have quite a balanced side with a few different options. Um, I'm, I'm even thinking like Otamendi. We we know he's not the most reliable, but we also know that he can put sort of six or seven games together where he, he looks really, really good. And if they have players like that and they can all do that, um, yeah, I think they'll get to the, the later stages. And if, if they're in sort of tight games against teams like, I don't know, France or, or Brazil, I think they could, could play. It'll come down to probably individual brilliance. And there's no more brilliant player than, than Lionel Messi. So mm-hmm. if, if he if he's really on form, I think they've now got a supporting cast that can help him. Um if they go out, I don't think it'll be sort of I don't think they'll get battered by anyone. But I, I could see sort of momentum just carrying them all the way. I'm I, I don't know. They're my tips to to do it just because I don't think there's any real standouts. Um but yeah I, I, we we've seen sort of Tournaments in the past, Spain have been the standouts in 2010. Germany were brilliant in in 2014, and France were clearly the best side in 2018. There's no equivalent this year, mm. but I think Argentina is probably as close as as you get. 
No, I think you're spot on there. You know, I wouldn't want to be any strikers. Well, I feel sorry for any strikers' heels coming up against the duo of uh, Otamendi and Lissandro Martinez, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel what's kind of crucial with Argentina is kind of, obviously, an outsider who hasn't watched them much, but kind of just looking at the squad. For so many years, Argentina were blessed with so many attackers. You know, you had Messi, of course, but then you had, as I mentioned, Higuain. You had Aguero, of course. You still have Di Maria. Um, so many to mention. They had so many strikers and they were all kind of vying for that central role, which meant Messi wasn't, as crazy as it sounds, he wasn't the main man. He, the team wasn't built around him as much as it should have been for, um, you know, as it was at Barcelona for so many years. And he's that good that it kind of, he managed to carry them to so many finals regardless of that. But now I feel like with those players kind of leaving the squad and retiring from the game in some cases, it feels like now he is the main man and the likes of... Uh, uh, Lissandro Mart- not Lissandro, Lotaro Martinez, um, Di Maria, um, they seem more like supporting cast for Messi. I, I do believe Giovanni Lacelso was missed out and he was a pretty crucial player um, in the midfield for stitching that together. But they do seem to have a bit a, a much more solid base than they used to have now as well. Um, uh, Emi Martinez in goal, of course, um, is an upgrade on what they usually have between the sticks and, let's say, a solid centre-back pairing. Um, I, I, yeah, I think, and then obviously, of course, Julian Alvarez. Um, he's got the number nine shirt for Argentina. Um, how, how do you see his tournament going? It could be kind of a, a, a breakout uh, summer, breakout winter for him. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, he's coming into it on good form. He's he's played the last few games for City and finally got the chance to score some goals. Uh, they played against, I think, UAE on uh, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. Um, Alvarez scored a goal. A lot of the attackers scored a goal, um, but it was it was Messi breaking through the centre and squaring it for Alvarez, and he looked absolutely delighted. Alvarez to to get an assist for Messi, um, but then you players like Dybala and and Di Maria and and Martinez came on as well to to do it. So if Alvarez is the starting one to to do all the running as he does for City, and he can do that for for Messi with Argentina, you never know. It could be. Could be a perfect time for him. I don't think he'll play every game. I don't think. I think they will rotate in those attacking positions. But I think you're exactly right that the system seems just a lot better for Messi now. If, if you looked at every position, Messi aside, they've probably not got the best players in the world, but they seem to have a system that just suits that team, and mm. and that's what you need at a World Cup. I think. Absolutely, of course, Messi's in an amazing form again. Mm. Um, at the minute, he's, he's hit at the perfect time. So, of course, if it's not England who win, I do think I want Argentina to do it just just for the romance. But, you know, another another legendary forward who's likely going to be playing his last World Cup is Robert Lewandowski for Poland. Uh, group C is another group where second place is kind of up for grabs. I think Saudi Arabia will be the whipping boys of the group. It'll be between Mexico and Poland. You know, it, it, it's, it's Argentina and Mexico are usually meeting in the last 16 and, you know, Mexico are really the prime candidates for losing in the last 16. So it might be weird for, if they don't make it, but I wonder if this is Poland's time to do something at a major tournament. Like Senegal, and they're in the same group in 2018, Poland were tipped to do well, and they also flopped, only managed to get a one win, finished bottom on three points. And I believe I watched, I, I think it might have been actually been a game with Senegal. That, um, was it, did they not have the decider maybe? Um at the last group game, perhaps, and Poland needed a goal, and they were just so listless and lifeless, and had no urgency. So they really have um, a bad showing last time to make up for, and they do have one of the best strikers in the world. So I, I do fancy Poland to maybe make amends this time around. But h- h- what are you thinking? 
Um, yeah, did, did they play England in the qualifying? Um, just trying to look now. I, I, I don't know with Poland. I think, yeah, they could do really well or they could flop, like you said. Um, it's it's really weird with, with Poland. I never know how to judge them. And same with Mexico because they've got a good side, but have they got a good enough side to, to be consistent over those, those three games? It'll probably come down to Poland versus Mexico for that second spot. I'm leaning towards Mexico, but I know you're thinking Poland, so we can we can say Poland just for Lewandowski because he's a player who deserves to be in in the knockout stages of of a tournament. Yeah, I, I do love watching Mexico in the World Cup because they are just the sort of team that of so many players that you only see at the World Cup. You know, um, William Ochoa, of course, in goal, um, must be turning out for his eighth World Cup at this mm-hmm. point. It's Carlos Salcedo still going. And the former Fulham left back, it looks like he might have um, finally called it a day. But Andreas Garado's in there. Hector Herrera, um, the kind of battling midfielder. There's a few new names, it looks like, but it seems like for so long, you know, Hervin Lozano, of course, uh, um, if it felt for Uriel Antuna, there's so many names that you've heard so many times playing for Mexico, and they always offer a bit of excitement. So I do hope they do well, but I'm thinking Poland um, do beat them to the punch this time around. Moving on to Group D, and this is another one where, well, this is one where the, the top two seems a little more set in stone. We've got France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. Um, we have no City first-team players in this group, I don't think, but we have a couple of... Uh, um, CFG representatives in Matthew Leckett and James McLaren, if that means anything to anyone. But um, <laughs> what do you feel for this group? People are fancying France for the tournament again. And as you say, they were the clear, clear favourites for 2018. It was no surprise when they won it. But I, I'm I'm not feeling them this time around. I don't think they've had some serious injuries in midfield, especially Pogba and Kante miss the tournament. Too many in Camavinga are great players, great potential, are going to be amazing players. Um, as they mature at Real Madrid, but I don't think they're in the greatest run of form at the minute. I don't think Camavinga's starting much at Madrid at present. I know too many is, but I don't think he's quite um, quite found his groove just yet. And when you replace him, Casemiro, that's obviously a difficult thing to do. You know, they've got um, in their place, it's uh, Guendouzi, Vertu, who used to play for Aston Villa, uh, Rabiot still somehow got in. God knows how, and um, Fafana, who I don't believe has played much for France. So that midfield, which is often such, often such a crucial part of the side, looks a bit depleted. They've, of course, got so many um, other talents, but then, as I mentioned earlier, and Kunku's injured. I don't know how much of a certain start he would be considering there are other attackers, but Varane is a doubt as well. They've, they've, right, you look at the squad, and there's obviously, other than those midfield problems, as I mentioned, they've got so many amazing attackers. They've got Karen Benzema this time around to add to uh, Kingsley Coleman, Usman Dembele, Kylian Mbappe, of course. And at the back, even if Varane's out, they still have Upamecano, Canate, uh, the Hernandez brothers, um, Benjamin Pavard, who delivers at World Cups. But, you know, I don't know, Mike Mannion's injured as well. I, Hugo Lloris isn't in the best form. I just think, and of course, the World Cup winners curse, which has struck teams in the last three, year, um, last three World Cups. I have a sneaky feeling France will get through... But I, I can see Denmark pipping them to the post for that top spot. Yeah, France France's attack is as good as anyone's in the world. They've got Benzema, who's the best striker, and basically won the Champions League on his own, didn't he? And Mbappe continues to score a lot of goals in whatever team he plays in. And those other players you mentioned, but also Antoine Griezmann as well, not being in great form. But I think there's a lot of players for France who really 
turn it on for France, even if they might not be doing well um, with the clubs. And I'm looking at Paul Pogba as a, a prime candidate for that in the past, who was mostly useless for United, but looked like a completely different player um, for France. Yeah, the, the midfield is going to be an issue. The, the three who won them the World Cup last time, none of them are there. The defence without Varane looks a bit shaky, a bit out of form. We've not really heard any of those names in the last four years as being particularly great. Um, I think they'll get through and if they win the group, they'll probably play Mexico or Poland, should beat them. Then they could potentially face England and, and that could be quite an even game. And suddenly they could be in the in the semi-finals and, and that's the sort of team that has the experience to, to do quite well. I'd, I'd back them for the semi-finals, I think. But I agree that I don't think that they're the same team they were four years ago. Denmark, yeah, we saw them in, in the Euros and very, very unlucky not to get to, to the final. They they played well, they're a team. Did they win every single game in, in qualifying? They, they, in France, in the Nations League as well? Yeah, they're, they're going to be very hard to beat mm. and, and they'll take a lot of confidence from the Euros as well. So I've got them to finish second in the group, but as you say, there's nothing to say they can't finish first. And it, it's not one of them shouts where I'm completely disagreeing with you. I, I, I agree that they could do quite well in this tournament. Mm. Yeah, in danger of kind of contradicting myself because um, obviously Denmark could meet England mm-hmm. if they meet if they win the groups. I've not worked out the whole um, the whole route. So when we do our predictions later, I don't know how many of them will actually be impossible. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think Denmark are a team that are really solid, hard to beat, really kind of industrial in the middle. You know, you got Holberg. And then really kind of big, strong, solid centre-backs, a great keeper in Schmeichel. But then they just have that bit of um, excitement. Ericsson, of course, is uh, as he's proven at United, remains a, a sublime playmaker. And, you know, what a redemption story it would be for him, considering what happened, obviously, a year ago against Finland. And um, I just, yeah, I, I have a, I do think Denmark could go quite well. It wouldn't, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up going close to a semi-final. I just think they're, they're probably a team that have got their act together strongest the most and have a really solid outfit. You know, everyone's seen the Dark Horses, which kind of makes them not Dark Horses at this point. But yeah, I do fancy them uh, to kind of repeat that. They're, they've one of the few countries who kept their good form from the Euros going the year since. And as I said, I don't blame many clubs, uh, many countries for dropping form during Nations League matches and stuff. But Denmark kept it going. I think that's quite telling where a lot of teams didn't. So I expect that to carry on. Yeah, they, Obviously, the other two teams in this group, Australia and Tunisia, um, hard to know much about Australia and the Australia of old, where they had um, lots of players that, you know, elite play, Premier League players. They've got Aaron Marley, who was once on Manchester City's books, um, but I think even he's an injury doubt. So it's hard to see either of those doing much. So I believe we're both on France and Denmark through there, whether it's first or second. Then moving on to Group E, now this one is really tasty. It, it looks almost certain again for, for which two teams will go through, but I reckon we could have some really um, kind of exciting matchups here. We've got Spain, Germany, Costa Rica, and Japan. Now Japan are always good value at World Cups. I remember the game against Belgium in 2018 was brilliant. Probably my favourite game of the uh, of the of the tournament last time around when it was. Um, oh, was it Japan leading two 0 and Belgium come back and it was an amazing mm-hmm. Lukaku back heel. Was it Nasser Chadley who scored that goal? Wow, what a throwback. Um, so, yeah, we've got three City players in this squad with Rodri, El Kai Gundogan and the Mayor at the Port. Um, I'd say that the winners 
seem obvious. I don't think either Spain or Germany are quite as strong as they used to be, but should get past this. And um, yeah, uh, with Japan and Costa Rica, two teams, you know, Costa Rica as well, of course, were really good um, in the uh, World Cup recently as well. So I, I, I don't know if I could see an upset, but I could see the games not being quite as um, comfortable as many might think. Yeah, I mean, those those top two, you'd be surprised if they didn't get through Spain and Germany. As you say, not not the teams that they were. I think Spain are improving. Maybe Germany are struggling a little bit when, when they played England in the Nations League. It, it wasn't a particularly great match-up. Um, and they, they don't really have anyone up front, do they? There's, there's no sort of fearsome striker. They've still got Thomas Muller, but he's getting on a bit and he's not going to score loads of goals. Kai Havertz, I'm not convinced as a striker, he might score the odd one. Um, I think that Musiala will probably have a good tournament. Yeah. I think Sane could as well if he's in the mood. They've got Kanabi, but there's no sort of focal point in the middle that I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'm I'm not too convinced on on Germany, um, Japan. Yeah, I'm always I always like seeing them because we never see teams like that apart from World Cups. They they're the sort of like exciting games for me because we don't know anything about these players and they always play really well and and they're going to make it difficult for those sides. And yeah, you mentioned Costa Rica and they obviously finished above England in, was it 2014? Um, which we, we choose to forget, but it did hmm. happen. And uh, no, I, I think that's, there's not any real group of death is that, but that's, that's probably the most open in terms of, we don't really know who's going to win or, or who's going to really sort of dominate that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tasty one. Um, Ryan Ruiz is still playing for Costa Rica. That's amazing. He's now 37 and playing in Costa Rica, but he's still he's, ha- he's hung on for the World Cup, so that should be great. Um, the older languid playmaker for Fulham, um, if you don't remember. And yeah, look at these two Germany and Spain squads. You know, For Germany, Mario Götzen got in, the winner of the 2014 World Cup. Um, I say Timo Werner got injured just before the tournament. He was going to be like probably... Um, if not the main striker, certainly a, a crucial attacker. It does look like Kai Havertz will lead the line. A um, uh, 17-year-old Dortmund striker, or he might have just turned 18 at this point. I know his birthday is around here at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, striker Yusuf Makuko is a, a real prodigy. Scored, I think, six or seven goals this season in the Bundesliga for Dortmund, including a 90th-minute winner against Schalke, um, of which is obviously a massive uh, rivalry over in Germany. But I look at the Germany squad, and I don't think it's the strongest anymore. I think the defence... Um, it's quite weak, you know. Philo Kura, who I've never rated highly, um, Hummels hasn't made it this time around. You know, they've got Rudiger, who's obviously brilliant, but you look at some of the ones I don't believe Costa, um, uh, is it or Schlotterbeck? I don't believe he's been in the greatest form for Dortmund. Sula, who we saw at the Etihad, um, was an absolute monster, but eventually they concede. You know, Gundogan's still good, Goretzka, great midfield, but you look kind of say the attack going forward, Joshua Kimmich, of course, as well. And, yeah, they, I think forwards are a bit weak. Jonas Hoffman, um, Karim Adeyemi, not the best. But I think, as you said, mentioned there, Jamal Masala, he, he's real potential to be the breakout style of the time. I think he's already, uh, for us English eyes, of course, he's already a regular in the Bayern Munich team. A shame England couldn't get hold of him. Um, I believe he could have played for either country, but he chose Germany. Probably a wise decision, um, all said and done. But he's been absolutely amazing for Bayern Munich this season. He looks set to be the breakout star, I would say. And then the Spain squad, as you say, I think this Spain squad is kind of one in transition. It's looking more like a younger team, of course, with Gavi and Pedri going to be the the, the, you know, the Xavi and the Esther of the future. But, and Ansu Fati as well, of course, Nico Williams. But it does feel like they left out, 
you know, Sergio Ramos didn't make the cut, even though I believe he's been in decent form for PSG. Um, Iago Aspas, uh, a couple of kind of seasoned names, uh, Thiago Alcantara as well. A couple of seasoned names didn't make the cut. Uh, I believe Enrique's got him for a little slack for not taking certain names for a, a, kind of a look for the future. So I, I reckon that'll be kind of Spain's lot this year. They'll kind of get through, maybe do all right, but this is a Spain team for the future, maybe not this World Cup. Yeah, possibly, but I, th I think the, the results have been sort of slowly improving, which makes me think they'll maybe get quarterfinals, but I, d I don't think they'll be involved too much at the end. Um, yeah, I, I was reading Rodri was saying earlier that he maybe has a struggle to get his place with Sergio Busquets ahead of him, and it's they've got the, the same... The same issue that City have had in, in recent years of do you play two holding midfielders or one and which one do you play and then where do you play the other one? And yeah, I think they've got a good a good base of, of a team and a few faces familiar to City with Eric Garcia and Ferran Torres as well as Rodri and Emeric Laporte. But um, no, I, I think they've got the edge over Germany. I, th I think they'll win the group and then who knows what, what happens and who they meet in the, in the next round. Mm -hmm. Moving on to Group F, um, that contains Belgium, Canada, Morocco and Croatia. Uh, again, this one seems like two teams almost probably likely to go through, but interesting, of course, because Kevin De Bruyne will be representing City in that group. And uh, I don't want to try and pronounce Ike Ugbo, I'm going to go with, um, who's <laughs> representing Canada. I think, you know, even though this one does seem a bit set in stone, I am intrigued to see how Canada do. Um their first World Cup in my lifetime, at least. I'm not sure if they've ever made one previously. But they have some exciting young talent, Jonathan David being the highlight of that, of course. Um, Croatia, you know, you kind of put on our agenda here. They have had an amazing run in recent years, obviously getting to the last World Cup final, but they are reaching the end of their kind of golden generation. Now, Luka Modric is 37. Mario Mandzukic has retired. Are they kind of coming to all. So maybe there even is room for an upset. Morocco have some talented forwards as well. Um, Hakim Ziyech, of course. So, yeah, this, this could, could be more of an interesting group than it looks on paper. What do you reckon? Of course, the big story is, um, for a City perspective, is is this De Bruyne's redemption? His Euros were kind of waylaid through injuries, of course, unfortunately. So is this going to be... I often find when De Bruyne comes back for injury from City, he always kind of plays with like an added fire as if he's making up for lost time. And it would not surprise me if we see that sort of sort of um, energy from him at the World Cup. Yeah, if Belgium are going to do anything, it's it's going to be with De Bruyne sort of powering forward from midfield. They've always got a good side on paper. Maybe the defence might be going through a bit of a transition, but with Eden Hazard, he's not had the best time with his clubs recently, but he can turn it on in a tournament. Likewise, um, Romelu Lukaku, they've got some really good players in that that attack in midfield. Um, and I, I would think they would hope to be in the semi-finals and, and final. And you guess it's probably the last chance of their so, sort of so-called golden generation. And when we spoke to De Bruyne in, I think it was after the Leicester game, he was like, I know it's this could be my last World Cup. His family's going over. He He's aware that he might never get this chance again. And especially with this level of, of quality in the Belgian team as well. So I, I think the group suits them because they're probably not going to have too many troubles in in the group stage and they can then sort of do what I'm saying England could do and warm up through that group stage and then go on to the knockouts. Second place, yeah, I think it is up for grabs because Croatia, we know they're good in tournaments. They got to the final last time. Luka Modric is always going to be 
a very, very classy player. So is Perisic. Um, maybe that could help them if we're talking about experience being sort of a secret weapon in this tournament. But also, maybe they are a little bit too old and I don't think they're going to have a run like they did last time. I don't think the the way that the tournament is set up will really allow that either. But um, I'd say Croatia joined Belgium in the last 16. But if, if either of the other two did, I, I wouldn't be too shocked. Yeah, it looks like Croatia have a good midfield, of course. I say Modric, um, but they've got Kovacic in there as well. But mm-hmm. I'd say going forward, it does seem a bit age, um, a bit aged now. Um, Arsic is still in that squad. It's proper old boys group, this. I mean, just going through the Belgium squad, and I'm flabbergasted to see the old pairing of Jan Patonga and Toby Alderweireld are still going. That's absolutely one last ride. Um, uh, them going out in style. Yannick Carrasco in there as well. It does seem like the defence of Belgium hasn't changed for about eight years at this point. But, you know, De Bruyne will have a good midfield alongside him. They've got Axel Witzel and Yuri Tillemans in there. Um, which, you know, with Tillemans' contract up in the summer, it could be very interesting to see how uh, De Bruyne does in the same midfield as him with City maybe keeping an eye out for um, a new midfielder in the summer with um, how the squad shaping up. Um, yeah, I'm surprised Hazard has made it. I can't actually remember the last time I've seen him play a game. He's been so played of injury since he went to Madrid. But they do have, I should say, Belgium have some exciting attacking talent in there. They've got the old boys with Hazard and uh, Dries Mertens coming back. Um after he left Napoli, but they've got Jeremy Doku, who is another really highly highly rated player, I believe, at Lille. Um, and uh, Leandro Trassard, who's in great form for Belgium. Um, so he could think, and Charles De, I can't say his name, Charles De Ketelaire, who I believe signed for AC Milan in the summer after really coming through at Anderlecht. So they have some exciting options there. And of course, Michi Bashwai is still on the plane as well. So <laughs> it does really feel like this is the last chance for kind of Belgium's golden generation, doesn't it? When, when you've got players who, who are now, you know, seeing out the careers in far-flung places. If they're still getting in the squad, you know you're kind of not really replacing them quick enough, I'd have thought. But then again, if, if we're talking about oh, yeah. teams who, who know each other and know the system, possibly having an, an advantage this year, then that could potentially work in, in their favour. And they've got um, the, the Leicester defender phase, Walt phase, who I was very, very impressed with at the King Power Stadium and he's had a really good season. So he might be a, a younger a younger defender to to join that. They often play a back three, don't they? Um, to join that back line alongside Batongan and Arda Bayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to Group G, we are nearly there, people. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> there. Group G, we have got Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon. City representative, of course, is Manuel, Manuel Akanji. Now, this group might not might look quite a dull one on paper, but uh, cast your mind back to 2018 when Serbia and Switzerland were also in the same group and played an amazing game, which was won late on by Jordan Shakiri's last-minute winner. And then it, all manner of kickoffs occurred when um, Shakiri celebrated with the Albanian eagle pose against Serbia, <laughs> which caused all sorts of drama. Um, you never know if that as that sort of scenes could be happening again, but. It's going to be between one of those two for a second, but maybe Cameroon. To be fair, I can't say I know much about Cameroon, but Brazil are the you know a lot of people's favourites. I believe the actual favourites for the tournament. They look really strong. They've got so many good players in all over the pitch. It looks almost certain that they'll be winning this one. Yeah, I think they won the group. Um, second place. It seems like these three teams always play each other. There's- Brazil always play these these sort of mid-ranking European sides in, in their group and it's never that interesting. But I think that'll suit Brazil because they've got a lot of expectation. 
Um, I'm not sure I buy the fact that the tournament favourites, I think they'll get quite far because the attack will carry them, but I don't think the defence is, is all that. And you're looking at players like Fred for United and he's one of their starters in recent months. Mm. And I, I'm not sure you can win the World Cup with Fred. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to be proved wrong, but I'm also fairly confident that if they're going to win the World Cup, it'll be with a, a different side or a different midfield at least. Going forward, I think, like we said about France, there's not many people who can, can compete with them. And if they're going to do well, Neymar will be on form. He doesn't always turn up consistently in these tournaments. And he's probably looking and thinking he's on, not got many chances left. Um, so, yeah, Brazil, I think, will win it. And then it's no idea who's going to join him. I, I, I would say Switzerland, I think, they're maybe a bit more balanced. But, again... No real, uh, no one's really jumping out at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Brazil. If, I'd say that one weakness it does look full, quite weak at full back. I mean, they've got City old boy Danilo still in there, and Danny Alves is still clogging along at touching mm-hmm. 40 now. But it'd be good to see him for one last ride. And you know, as you know, talking about all the teams, Switzerland, I literally don't think has had any changes for about 20 years at this point. They've still got Granit Xhaka in the midfield, Jan Sommer in, at the back, and the striker who never scores, Harris Seferovic up front. So, yeah, they, they're, you know, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez at left back as well. I believe they're a team who are like, they're, they're another like Mexico where they're just a seasoned last 16 knockout, um, mm-hmm. get knocked out, didn't they? But they had a decent Euros, I remember. They had a great game with France. So, may, I, yeah, I fancy Switzerland to get through there and you never know how it will go because they say experienced teams. And, you know, take a quick glance at the Cameroon squad. They do have a few players that you may recognise, to be fair. Brian Mbwemo, who's sitting a while too well after the last game on Saturday against Brentford. Um, uh, the best striker in the world, Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting, um, George Kevin and Kudu. So, and, of course, um, Napoli's really informed midfielder, Frank Zambo and Gisa. So they do have a quite a decent amount of quality. And it'd be interesting, that group. I don't think it's quite... Um, Quite open for second place. And then moving on to the final group is Group H. And this one looked very tasty, I'd reckon. Group H contained Portugal, Ghana, South Korea and Uruguay. We've got, of course, the City Portuguese contingent in Ruben Diaz, Juan Cancelo and Bernardo Silva. This is tasty for a number of reasons. It's obviously... Cristiano Ronaldo has a lot to live up to after his antics this mm-hmm. past week. So it'd be interesting. He'll almost certainly be the head um, starter for Portugal, even if um, the kind of quicker and more nimble and younger attackers um, joining him in Portugal's squad might give him a better chance. But they're a really, uh, maybe the the most balanced squad in the tournament. Perhaps they've got just so much quality throughout the pitch, almost no weaknesses whatsoever. Um, kind of casting an eye over it, and then you look kind of look at Uruguay, not as strong as once was, but it's going to be a, um, a real last goal for Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani. But they have a bit of new blood in Darwin Nunes to add to that kind of chaotic, um, big man attack. Um, for can for Kundo Palestres, they're uh, promising United winger, he's not really had much. Um, game time. They've still got Sebastian Coates and Jose Jimenez and Diego Golden is still going. How is he still playing? Oh, man. It's an absolute throwback this World Cup already. So, yeah. Um, it'd be interesting, you know, the old war horses Uruguay give it one last go with their fading generation, Lucas Torreira there as well. Um, Rodrigo Bentancur. It looks like those two teams will go through, but again, as we mentioned earlier with the likes of Japan, South Korea and Ghana, both teams are always kind of good value for the World Cup and always um, bring the party, always play well, have, have exciting fixtures and hopefully that'll be the case again. 
I think South Korea will do quite well. As, as really? If they can, if they can get Hyung Min Son firing, I'm trying to remember what they did. In... He's not injured though. I, I think he's a doubt, isn't he? He's got the same injury as, as mm. De Bruyne had with his ah, injury, yeah. facial injury. Um, if I'm right, did did they beat Germany? In the uh, yes, because Sun charged through from the halfway line, didn't he? And it was a great yeah, defeat. They knocked them out the 94th and 96th minute. They beat Germany, mm. so they've got something about them. I think that group is another one that's open for, for second place. I'm not too convinced by Uruguay. I think, yes, they've got players who were good, whether they are good now, I don't, I don't know. Ghana, I, I think those three teams are going to be quite equal, but I, I wouldn't bet against South Korea. Pipping the other two to to second place, and uh, it'd be nice to see Hyung Min Son in the knockouts because mm. he's obviously such a brilliant, brilliant player. Portugal, yeah, I think they will get to the sort of later stages. I hope they do because I've drawn them in two sweepstakes now. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm invested in Portugal now, but um, I don't know. I don't think they're as strong as they have they were at the Euros, for, for example, and they sort of underperformed there. So I reckon they've got something to prove. So let's see, let's see how they do. But they should be another team that should win the group without too many issues and then can focus on the uh, knockout stages. Yeah, I think with Portugal, I'd say it will depend on what Ronaldo turns up. If it's mm-hmm. a motivated one who wants to prove it, all his words right over the last week, um, maybe they'll do well. You know, he <laughs> he didn't play in that Euros final, but he basically dragged them there until he got injured. Um, but if it's one who's distracted with, by what he's been uh, kind of talking to Piers Morgan about and not 100% focused, you know, he's a He's been a top professional for 21 years. I don't see it being much of a problem. But you can easily see that he's going to play pretty much every minute of every game he's available of. And when you've got the likes of Rafael Liao and uh, Andre Silva and uh, probably not getting as much game time as they may have deserved considering their form in recent weeks, you know it might cause a bit of dis- distress maybe in the group when if Ronaldo's playing and not delivering. And of course... He's, he's, I don't think he's ever had a great with Portugal, a great kind of understanding with Bruno Fernandes and given potential um, disruption between United players in that squad with Diego Dalot in there as well. It, it could be an interesting one, but you know, Pepe's in there again, so I can't wait to see some good old, uh, good old fashioned SOs in from the big man. Uh, one last go as well. There's so many last rides in this World Cup. It's going to be a re, um, re, uh, kind of cowboy movie, the old grizzled outlaws giving <laughs> it one last go around. So it'll be excited to see. And you know, just a quick glance at the Ghana squad as well. They've got the, the old uh, RU brothers still going strong. And a, a few interesting players. Uh, Tariq Lamptey's in there. Uh, Mohamed Salasu, the good Southampton defender. Daniel Amati at Leicester. Uh, yeah, they, they, they've got they've got some quality as well. So I don't and Anaki Williams, of course, um, uh, Athletic Will Bowles, brilliant uh, forward. So they've got some real quality there as well. Um, they, uh, you know, we, we talked about the problems of the World Cup and why we're not as excited as usual. But kind of talking through the groups, and while a lot of them on paper seem pretty set in stone, I, I can see a fair few upsets. And if not, I think there's a lot of teams who, while they're big European teams and your favourites to win it, will maybe a little bit more conservative going into the heat and with the intense season and whatnot. I do think your, your South Koreas, your Ghanas, your Japans, uh, teams like that, I can really see giving it a go and making it exciting and hopefully giving us a, a few upsets as well. Yeah, they've got nothing to lose. There's a lot of teams who probably don't always get to the knockout stages who've got a real chance this time. Um, I would 
I think the group is going to be really interesting. Four games a day, like you say, it's it's truncated, so it's there's less days to fit those group games in, less days to recover for the bigger squads. I think that may suit those sort of second and third seed teams that that you mentioned. So yeah, bring it on. I think there could be a, a lot of a lot of open games, and that's all we want. You, you prefer to see sort of two, three, four goals a game rather than zero or one, wouldn't you? Absolutely, absolutely. We can only hope for good football, but as we say, we'll never kind of forget all, all, all the dark sides to the World Cup. Um, you know, that's been our in-depth look at the group stages. Apologies to those nations that we know little about, but when you talk about United <laughs> City all day long, you, you know, your focus has got to go in one direction. Unfortunately, we only have so many hours in the day. Moving on. Quickly, let's get to our predictions. We've met, we've got a few laid out here, Joe, that we'll go through, and maybe at the end of the World Cup, we'll see who got the most right. So, first up, Joe, who are your winners? I think Argentina. I have to agree, sadly. So, it might end up being quite a, a lot of the same <laughs> predictions, but I, I am with you. I think Argentina have got the advantage. They do a Brazilian mice at the office group six, so I wouldn't mind them getting there. But, you know, only time well south. Who are your runners up? Done a couple of the predictors and France keep popping up in the final. Okay. So I'll say France. Again, I don't know if this is actually possible because of how the routes are, but I feel a Brazil Argentina final is the way and that'll that'll be that's possible, time. yeah. Oh well, that's it. Well I'm going for that <laughs> then. I'm going for that. Uh, third place. Um Brazil. I think Brazil, Brazil. I will go. See, I've, I've made so many kind of talking predictions all the way through. I basically said every team's rubbish. So it's hard <laughs> to kind of kind of pick ones that will get to that point. I tell you what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go England third. Well, you twice the team in semis, if that can happen. <laughs> I, I can see it. Uh, fourth. Um, I was torn between sort of, I think Belgium and Portugal will be sort of on the mm-hmm. edge of semi-finals, but not quite final. So, yeah, Portugal. Portugal, yeah, I will go with Portugal with you. Actually, I can say I can see them kind of getting their act together. And I do think they have the um, the strongest squad overall, don't they? The very little weaknesses throughout. Um, I've said mine. Um, Semi final, uh, well, third, I suppose. Where have you got England finishing? I think I think quarter final. I think they'll they'll get through the last sixteen and then probably meet someone who's a bit better equipped to to sort of reach the the last four. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your dark horse slash surprise team now this is quite a hard one to kind of like judge on but we'll come back and say if the team did better than we expected them to do or many expected them to do we'll go with yes you've got it right well we said Denmark before as sort mm. of the team but as you said everyone's saying Denmark will do alright um, so the other team I wrote down was USA I know I said oh. that Wales would get out of England's group but <laughs> I do think if the USA could get out of the group they've probably got enough They'll have a bit of momentum and might be able to get to sort of quarterfinals, maybe. Interesting. Well, mine's Qatar, as I said. I don't think they'll come close <laughs> to winning it, but I can see them getting them out of the groups, and I think that'll surprise many. Flock yeah. team. Germany, as I say, I don't Germany. think don't think they'll get past the uh, last sixteen. Interesting. I'm gonna go with France. Holders curse. I can see it. I can see it. Top scorer. Probably Mbappe, but if Kane's on penalties, then then you never know. So the words out of my mouth, I've gone Harry Kane for that one. You know, as yeah. you say, penalty merchant, he gets it. Best player, I imagine we'll both kind of be on the similar thoughts on this one. If, if they go as far as they do, it'll have to be Lionel Messi, won't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I believe it's, it's going to be between Messi and Neymar and whichever one wins, we'll get it. And yeah. 
That'll be it, best one. And then finally, top assister. I put De Bruyne because he yeah. assists in his sleep, doesn't he? But he he could again if they do well, he could be a player of the tournament contender, couldn't he? Yeah, he absolutely could. I'll go with Julian Alvarez. Let's have a left field <laughs> on. He's teeing up Messi all the time, or maybe it'd be the other way around. Anyway, thank you everyone very much for listening. Those have been our World Cup predictions, and this has been our 2022 World Cup preview. We'll be back. Uh, well, we probably won't be back next week. Or Joe won't because he's on holiday, and I'm on holiday for most of next week. Um, I'll try and sneak in on Thursday to record another episode because it's the World Cup and we want to enjoy it in all of its glory. So we'll try and get back as much as we can during the tournament to uh, discuss all the happenings of the, the look for the most exciting games, how City's players are doing, and of course how England are faring in their group. And of course, we'll have all the um, all the news and coming out of the tournament and whatever's happening with City back at home over on the Manchester Evening News.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You'll be able to follow all the articles right on your Twitter feed at Man City MEN and over on Facebook with uh, Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. You can follow Joe on Twitter and read his uh, great upcoming piece. Um, I'm looking forward to the World Cup at uh, underscore Joe Bray. And you can get myself on Twitter at Dan Murphy MEN. Once again, everyone, thank you very much for listening to the Talk is City podcast. We'll be back at some point next week with any luck, any luck touch wood. But until then, it's goodbye for now. Thanks for